Hey there, welcome to SaaS Unbound, brought to you by SaaS Group. I'm your host, Anna Dana, and this is the show where we chat with inspiring founders and experts to get an inside scoop on how they made their business a success. And today with me is Luba Mila, CEO and co-founder of Plan A, helping brands to decarbonize and be ASG uh, compliant, as well as the founder of the Green Tech Alliance, a community connecting over 3,000 green tech member companies to 500 top tier VCs, media, and experts. That was a mouthful. And uh, that's a great <laughs> mission that you have. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Sure, anytime. And well, I've been, you know, you're a dedicated groupie for a while. I've been following some of your talks and, and interviews. But honestly, I still feel like this is all so very new. And there is a lot to to educate myself about as well. So can we start maybe with your background and, and the inspiration behind the product first? Absolutely. So I started planning in 2016 and it has been a wild journey since uh, we are 150 people from all across the world. And the focus that we have on a product and mission level is to decarbonize the economy. We have been working with companies of the likes of BMW, Chloe, Ghani, uh, even banks of the likes of Deutsche Bank, BMP, and we really support them on this data-driven uh, sustainability journey that allows for them to understand what is the return on investment on sustainability, what are the stakeholders that they need to activate and engage, and ultimately supporting them to understand how to become leaders in sustainability with all of their activities. All right. And, and how did you get to it in the first place? Like, why did you start in, in 2016? I've always been a trained finance person. I worked in finance in all different types of engagements and jobs. I was in retail banking, uh, private equity internships even, and then moved in uh, investment banking, VC, and then fintech. And the outcome was that I quickly learned that the economy was based on a set of KPIs that needed to be in a way recalibrated because in 2016, I digged into extensive amounts of data and scientific papers that showed me that climate change was not going anywhere. And there was not too much funding for the topic while this was starting to have significant impacts on the economic health uh, and also on the stability and competitiveness of businesses. So ultimately with these two hats on, I was able to put together the concept of Plan A, which in the beginning was related to climate risk and quantifying the costs for businesses associated to that, moving on to a more scaled uh, towards today approach where we look into the status quo of sustainability in a business as a lever for competitiveness, but also as a lever for cost saving. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Well, uh, and uh, like I said, like for me, there is a lot to learn about that. And uh, I feel like I'm not the only one. And I, I remember one of your old interviews where you said, well, you know, in, in 2016, nobody really realized that it was a problem. And it took a lot of educating the customers, right? So, and I feel like whenever you have a company or a product, where you have to first go and educate people on what you're doing. It's just a hundred times harder. And now obviously like it creeps around the, the website and what you've been doing and you're putting out a lot of content. There are a lot of public appearances about that, but basically how hard was it to 
move the needle to to get to the first people who would listen to you and acknowledge that this is a problem worth solving the truth is in 2016 we didn't start in the most conventional way uh, when it comes to software building and SaaS platforms we focused on community building and events. This was our way to learn quite quickly from the market what was the level of maturity that they have on sustainability, their sense of urgency around the topic, their uh, depth of understanding of climate change and how it was going to impact their lives. And we started with a B2C setup where we would organize zero waste events, cleanups in Berlin, also quite a lot of corporate engagement and educational sessions where we would sit in front of a non-sustainability team, but try to get them uh, to put on a sustainability hat on. It was interesting to go through these times because that put us in front of the eyes of thousands of people and got us uh, quite uh, differently excited about the topic because the perspectives were definitely differing. There was a lot of sea level buy-in in some cases uh, about the importance of the topic, but there was no budgets for that. On the other hand, there was a lot of people that were willing to volunteer or do work uh, such as uh, involving the company on social impact projects, even outside of the scope of their work. Out of all of these came a few conclusions. Uh, the first one was that we needed to fixate ourselves on businesses as the key receiver of our value proposition. So moving from a B2C to a B2B model. The second was that science needed to be at the core of what we were doing because the scientific know-how was there for decades. And it was just not connected to the economic value of the work that we were doing. And finally, it was really about a collaborative process, because even if you have a CEO or a board member that is interested in the topic, the work at the end of the day will be distributed across all of the different stakeholders, because the platform that we have built now uh, is ultimately allowing for you to look into KPIs in different departments and then translate them into ROI on sustainability, but also investment. It would different times legislation helped to get to where we are now uh, also the awareness on a societal level but ultimately uh, there was a lot of pushback in the beginning because people didn't see this as anything different than just a side activity that you have on the weekend yeah 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 absolutely i feel like uh sometimes what i've noticed in a company where people get excited about sustainability and greener choices it's usually like a small group of enthusiasts and then it's like when i started thinking about it it's it's like working on an open source project at first you're so excited it's something you know that's going to benefit so many people but then because it takes so much time and so much energy you get drained and then well, less and less help is coming and then it slowly dies. And in the company, I feel like when you're driving that sustainability change, that happens as well, right? And uh, there are other responsibilities that are directly linked to your KPIs. So it kind of becomes a second thought. So how was, yeah, how did you experience anything like that at first? And did it really change uh, dramatically when you moved to B2B? Using the term that you were mentioning, open source, I would have to mention that nature is a closed source uh, uh, system where there's limited amount of resources that are being exploited at the moment quite significantly. And this is due to the inefficiency of using them and also distributing them across industries and the people that end up being the end consumer or the business builder that is relying on them. 
when it comes to this, what this has meant for us is that deeply in our product, we've embedded uh, KPIs associated to explaining to our clients that there's no such thing as sustainability as a side activity, but it's really at the core of the existence of a business, as well as the capacity for the business to be competitive. When you look into some of the cases of growth that we have seen within our clients, we have clients that have started by simply asking us to put together a social impact report. Now they have uh, departments that are specifically dedicated for materials of the future or have embedded sustainability within the CFO office or within the product office, which means that they understand that the core element of their existence, which is how they historically have made revenue, is being impacted by that. The process of getting to this was really uh, listening to our clients. We are the kind of company that is customer centric uh, and has an incredible customer success team, but also a product team that listens to the feedback that comes from the customers. And essentially, we have come to the conclusion that uh, the unfolding of a sustainability journey for a business is similar to the journey that we went through while building Plan A, where the kickoff was seeing a society, a business community that was not open to the topic, but then external factors were starting to influence uh, their shift in mindset. And that was not only the fact that resources were diminishing, there was events like COVID that created disturbances in supply chains. There was a push by the employees, by society, but also there was a clear impact on their balance sheet. We use these examples to justify to others that are maybe not so prepared for this shift. Uh, but ultimately, the outcome is that uh, we don't believe that sustainability is on the side, but it's something that sits at the uh, capacity for a business to continue existing rather than anything else. All right. Thank you. And but yeah, we, we keep talking about about business and how uh, businesses can benefit from from being more sustainable. Right. And ultimately, there has to be something for the business. Uh, it has to be a business decision if you want to implement it in the company, right? So how are you making sure that, and maybe you can share some data uh, about that, that businesses do actually benefit and have higher uh, returns when, when they become more sustainable? So just a few months ago, we launched a product with BMW that is allowing for the clients of BMW to track their emissions as well as understand how they can switch their fleets as corporate clients to more sustainable options like electric vehicles and more efficient cars. The reason why this product came to life was because Alphabet understood that there is a benefit to creating loyalty for your clients while they transition on this journey to give them transparency on the data because they need it because there's legislation like CSRD that is coming. And finally, to create a competitive edge that also translates into revenue related to the scaling of their capacity to serve even more clients by being the only fleet management company that offers such services and such product. This is one example of many that I can give. And this has really allowed us to be able to demonstrate that even a large corporate, a publicly listed company understands the value of sustainability and they're aligning that to their own decarbonization journey where they're changing the cars that they're producing and bringing the clients on board which allows them uh, to go and fix not only their emissions but also their compliance as well as engagement uh, with their employees. Okay that's really interesting and you keep talking about big brands that you're working with. So, and this is usually the question, uh, how SaaS company 
or any other business really, when they work with such big brands with big opinions, uh, how do they shape the way plan A is, is developing if there is any way at all? For us, everything has been uh, possible when it comes to our success uh, of the basis of trust. And this might sound like a cliche, but the truth is the sustainability topic has been unfamiliar to many companies and individuals within these companies, be it when they're in the management or within some departments. What this has meant was that we needed to listen a lot, but also develop a trust relationship where we come in as the experts on sustainability, the experts on carbon accounting, on data specific to ESG, and then bring this knowledge to them in a package that is uh, reliant uh, on their available resources, but also on their willingness to learn. When you look into the sustainability journey of a business, it starts maybe with team awareness. There's some policies that are pushing. Uh, there's also employee uh, involvement and excitement. And there's, of course, like a societal white, which normally translates into client uh, engagement. When it comes to this, we have been uh, mapping out this whole journey, seeing where our clients come in, uh, in which step they are, and ultimately making sure that uh, we align our language, align our product proposition to satisfy their needs for the time being, while we scale our uh, commitment to them and they scale their commitment to us along the way uh, in a mutually beneficial relationship where the key KPI is return on investment on sustainability. This episode is sponsored by Rewardful.com. Looking for new ways to find customers for your SaaS business? Consider adding an affiliate program. Rewardful is the easiest affiliate tracking platform to set up, manage, and scale for SaaS companies. Log your customer acquisition cost and only pay affiliates based on results. Integrate Rewardful with your Stripe or Paddle account and set up your affiliate campaigns in minutes. Building a successful affiliate program can be a little bit intimidating figuring out where to get started. That's where Rewardful has taken what they've observed from their most successful customers' affiliate programs and distilled that into an exclusive online course. The exciting part? Their affiliate marketing course is absolutely free. And by joining the waitlist today, you'll get early access to it as soon as it goes live. Join the waitlist at rewardful.com slash course, rewardful.com slash course, and turn your biggest fans into your best marketers. Okay, but you are focusing now on uh, big enterprise companies. Yeah, we work with uh, their uh, value chain as well. Uh, and uh, also with emerging and fast-scaling companies of the likes of N26, Flix, Sorare, Miracle, uh, Ghani, and that allows us to have a really well-balanced understanding of where the economy is sitting because, as we know, uh, and we say in Germany, uh, the Mittelstand and the mid-sized businesses are the backbone of the economy. Um, the enterprises, of course, have a lot more obligations when it comes to the compliance bit, but uh, we do see value in working uh, from the mid-segment up until the enterprise uh, across the board, listening to them, aligning our product uh, and roadmap uh, to that, plus making sure that we are heavily involved with where the legislation is headed to make sure that we are relevant when it comes to the timelines of the EU, the German government, the French government, and many others where we operate. Right, that makes sense. Okay. And well, you started with, uh, with the cleanups and with the smaller events and uh, 
how has your growth strategy evolved uh, over the years when you started signing uh, with those big brands? My personal journey has definitely been one that has influenced the planet journey based on my learnings. And then that, that's the trickle down into the enterprise one. We have been working now for six years on the market. And if I think of myself in the beginning of this whole process, I was not necessarily aware that climate change was going to unfold so fast, but also legislation was going to move so fast. And employee, customer, as well as society uh, engagement was going to become so visible. With this in mind, uh, we have decided to focus on a growth strategy that is related to listening, learning from the clients, but then making sure that uh, we are always on top of the latest science, always on top of the latest uh, legislation. And we're making sure that our clients are seeing themselves on this roadmap as someone that is either behind or advanced or working towards setting pioneering agendas that have not yet been maybe identified by the whole industry. When you start having this kind of, uh, I would say, deliberately distributed approach to the market, your growth agenda is obviously flexible, but it is listening to a lot of different market signals that show you where even the economy is headed. And that uh, has helped us to stay client relevant and to make sure that they are not seeing us only as a SaaS product, but also as a partner that can enable them to be economically viable, competitive, stable as a business, and also to be able to stay relevant to their clients. Okay. All right. Well, for this incredible growth, and you, like you said, you're now 150 people. You have uh, recently raised... 27 million dollars if i'm not mistaken right and also uh because i started researching before going into this podcast i remember a couple of years ago you did an episode where you were talking about the bias toward female founders and how difficult it is to to raise funds and well if if i'm completely honest i haven't had a female founder on a podcast who wouldn't say that literally 100 uh, percent and i'm just wondering um if that has changed anyhow for you this year because you know there is a great cause behind the uh, behind the company and you've ultimately built some trust and you're more of a public figure uh now right you're more well known in, in germany and and france and all the markets that you're working with so has it been easier because of that because of like actively reaching out to the audience and working with bigger brands or it it's it's still kind of the same story the biggest learning that i've gathered over the last few years has been that uh, the biggest stigma comes from the fact that female founders forget quite often that they are founders and vice versa when it comes to the engagement that they would have with investors what this means is that at the end of the day, a male founder is a founder, a female founder is a founder, and we need to stop considering ourselves as a group of uh, founders that have bias that I'm imposed on them. Uh, at the end of the day, a sustainable business is built on KPIs and it's built on success that is uh, relevant to a well-defined industry like the VC1. Um, the issues that we've had historically were related to maybe not having enough exposure to investors. There's been new vehicles that have been created through this. 
having also uh, no capacity to uh, use networks as well as having less know-how related to sustainability in our context but also uh, even the sustainability of a business not only from an environmental perspective but just how you build a sustainable business that is able to survive um, I mentor a lot of female founders and the main element uh, of my uh, discussions with them is really focused on creating uh, additional sense of confidence allowing for networks to be built fast through creating a lot of opportunities for yourself by being visible, by speaking out, by making sure that you stand out with your value proposition and use quirky ways in which you do that. And finally, by making sure that at any point of your engagement with investors, you don't consider yourself as a marginalized part of the community, but rather as someone that comes up with a fantastic idea that needs to be explained in a language that is understood by any investor, regardless if they're male or female. This is something that is often forgotten because I remember the first conversations that I've had with investors where I would sit on a half an hour call and I wasn't quite sure if I had the confidence, if my value proposition made sense to them, if they had a thesis on that, and if also they understood the KPIs that I was trying to work against. When you listen to enough of these conversations, when you participate into enough of these conversations, you start seeing a pattern of how investors think, which needs to be used in the way you prepare yourself for the next phone call, for the next fundraise. This can allow you to stand out and be a more prominent player in the market. And this repetition of engagements really makes sure that you are always uh, relevant first to yourself and second to the investors. Um, I think there will be improvements when it comes to the female founder cohort, so to say, but that is heavily dependent on making sure that uh, we as founders uh, align ourselves to this language and make sure that we're building businesses that stay sustainable and are relevant to the current trends and also market dynamics. Absolutely. Absolutely. I was once on like the other side. I wasn't an investor, but I was like representing a company that would benefit the, the startups at uh, an incubator. And what I noticed uh, was just this incredible change when I would go from a room with a male founder or, or two co-founders, and they would be just so incredibly confident in their idea, whatever it is. And I mean, not all the ideas were absolutely brilliant, to be honest, right? And then I would go to another with a female founder and they would almost try to excuse themselves for like asking for help. And it was such a dramatic change and I started noticing it. And I think you're absolutely right. First, there should be confidence and you should kind of try to understand the rules of that and uh, become relevant, not just for yourself, but for the investors. Maybe just to jump in here when it comes to this comment, uh, what has really helped me a lot was really to pitch extensively from the beginning of Plan A up until uh, a few years back. I would use any opportunity to really go in front of an audience, develop a confidence uh, through maybe even being uh, corrected sometimes or given feedback that was not always really positive. But each time uh, you go on stage, even if it's in front of 20, 200 or 25,000 people, 
the audience is exactly the same with the expectation that you're going to excite them, offer them something that they mm -hmm. don't know, give them the confidence that there's someone solving a problem that they might not even understand, but they might want to be part of your journey, be it as employees, be it as partners, as investors. Each one of those attempts allows you to understand yourself better uh, and also be a better leader, be a better salesperson and someone that is learning from feedback that comes immediately or after, be it if you are winning a competition, losing a competition, uh, or uh, just there to kind of ask someone to uh, join your startup. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Well, before, because I really, really want to ask you about like the ways, the hacks, the steps that smaller companies like us, for example, could uh, take in order to become more sustainable. But before we, we uh, do that, because it just, you know, it, it hits too close to home because I live, I live in Asia right now. And a couple of weeks ago, I went to Kuala Lumpur and I talked with a VC of one of the biggest corporations there who invest into greener, sustainable projects. And uh, I obviously asked how it's going and how, how it's changing in Asia, because it's an emerging market and it might be a little, a little different to, to what we're used to in Europe. And it is hard, right? And uh, sometimes the business part of that investment kind of prevails. Uh, it, it's not really about sustainability. It's not really about changing the planet or anything. It's just the business opportunity. And that's what I kind of see here as well. People really don't care how many billions of, of plastic bags are being produced because for some, these plastic bags are still the means to plug into a hole of their house during the rainy season because, you know, it gets flooded otherwise. So they've got very relevant problems for them. And like climate change seems just too big. You know, it's, it's literally a planet <laughs> big. So how are, are you, are you working on uh, bringing that uh, awareness and educating people in the emerging markets? And do you see any change happening anytime soon? Climate risk-related costs have increased hundreds of percentages in the last years, and this is something that is starting to hit uh, not only the wallets of individuals, but also the bank accounts of businesses, as well as the balance sheets of large corporations. With this in mind, anyone that doesn't understand uh, this value chain disruption related to access to resources, legislation that is costing uh, uh, a lot of money to prepare for is a mistake in the go-to-market strategy and in the value proposition definition of a business. We have seen now through data that uh, there's a lot of concern on uh, a governmental level, on a pan-European level, on an institutional level uh, worldwide, which demonstrates that all of the legislation that is coming up is there to structure a pathway for the whole economy to move into a sustainable model. With this in mind, uh, we have been fixating ourselves on the companies that are awake to this reality, that are impacted by legislation and also are reliant on heavy value chains that are, when you assess the data, also starting to see that margins are diminishing and would this would mean is that you would have uh, 
ultimately revenue that is shrinking as well as a lot of implications on your cost structure that maybe are not anticipated if you don't assess it. I am concerned to a certain level about the trend line of certain markets being delayed, also certain industries being delayed that are sitting at the core of this transition. But I do believe that if you look into some of the EU legislation where you're talking about assessments of full value chains, uh, be it from where products are coming, if it's been sustainably sourced, this shows that uh, our continent is able to take responsibility for the impact that it does, uh, not only with uh, the brands that it creates and also the products that it sells here and internationally, but also for the different stakeholders that they're involving. With this in mind, we have a pathway forward that would allow us to shift, let's hope, uh, and this is what we act on daily basis, uh, the impact will happen uh, and trickle down internationally. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It's just, yeah, seeing what is happening here. It's, yeah, it's, it's really difficult to, to comprehend like how slowly the change is, is happening. If happening at all. But yeah, if, you know, if smaller companies like, like us, like SaaS Group, for example, we want, uh, we do have quite a few people that are very passionate about sustainability, our founders included, and we, we are trying to figure out what kind of steps we want to take in order to become greener. So what would be your, your best, I don't know, hacks that you would recommend to, to companies that are not that big? The first step is always looking into the status quo and assessing it through data. The reason why we've started with a model where we have a SaaS platform is because this sets the scene for sustainability in a structured, organized way, rather than you just kicking off a bunch of initiatives here and there. You have the possibility to really understand these are the initiatives I need to focus on and ultimately start with them uh, as this would allow me to have the biggest impact. Um, I often allow myself to give uh, general tips, but the data shows that they don't always apply uh, to even the same size of companies because the steps that need to be taken are different and the data shows that certain uh, topics need to be covered faster because they are creating more CO2, they're creating more negative impact. Uh, and this is often due to the value proposition of the company. What product are you putting on the market? Is it with physical element to it? Is it also related to uh, having a lot of different suppliers and value chain components? Tips that work are obviously looking into energy consumption. Uh, tech companies are heavily dependent on cloud services. Uh, and this is with regards to the way uh, we operate essential, but there's ways in which you can mitigate that. The second bit is related to operational culture, which is uh, focused on sustainability. A company that doesn't speak uh, effectively about sustainability might leave out these enthusiasts a little bit lost because they would want to push out uh, initiative or an exciting engagement that gets the whole company to think sustainably. But if they're not given uh, authorization or buy-in from the management, then uh, you don't have the chance for this to scale and potentially this can lose their enthusiasm uh, on the topic. The final one that I would give is related to community. Uh, there's no need for anyone to reinvent the wheel and having a community of companies that have gone through this process 
are of the same size, face the same issues related to uh, building up their product because maybe they work within the same industry or segment, gives you a good ground to kick off your thinking about the first initiatives that will deliver value. If you kick off with these three things, data, uh, also working with those that are enthusiastic about the topic and collaboration, you stand a really good chance to make sure that you effectively are implementing sustainability and starting to define a sustainability strategy for the whole organization. All right. Yeah, thanks for sharing those. All right. So just a couple more questions. Uh, this one is the usual for, for everyone on this podcast. What has been so far the biggest win and the biggest failure? The biggest win for me in planning is our team. We have 150 people that one after the other have decided to join at different stages, sometimes coming from a corporate, sometimes coming from a small organization, sometimes coming straight out of university. But they've all worked with the same level of motivation, enthusiasm and willingness to learn in a market where there's been a lot of shifts as well as a lot of challenges due to uh, the perception of the topic. I have no words to say how grateful I am for every single one of us that has decided to put their time into the company. And I include myself because I must say in the beginning, even for me, it was quite difficult to know if there was going to be success, if there was going to be funding, if there was going to be validation or visibility. This is the thinking behind every single person deciding to sign a contract with a company. When it comes to the biggest challenge or the biggest obstacle, um, I can certainly mention the general perception about sustainability. There's a residue of thinking where you would be putting sustainability in the corner in an organization, not allowing for it to really be part of big decision making and also budget definitions. This is problematic because it challenges businesses to grow. We have data that shows that. But it is uh, ultimately something that has been defined by decades of thinking in a way where the KPI, GDP, uh, gross margins uh, and others have been more prominent than the one of CO2 and other ESG ones. We now need to align the mathematics and make sure that both of these are equally as valid to make sure that businesses stay competitive and the economy stays stable. All right. Okay. And well, what's next for plan A? What's next for you? What are you excited about for, for the next year? We're expanding in Scandinavia. We're going to be uh, announcing the first people joining from there. Uh, we also have a lot of excitement for the US uh, as well as excitement to launch a few new products that have not been uh, publicly announced only to a few select clients. This is all happening within the coming months, so stay tuned. And for anyone that is interested in kicking off their sustainability journey now, uh, they can get in touch with me or uh, find us on our website. All right, wonderful. And, and what is the best way to get in touch with you? There's a lot of ways in which people can get in touch <laughs> with me, not always the most effective ones, I would say. Uh, LinkedIn is probably a good place to start uh, as there's many uh, eyes that would be looking into what's going on there. Right. Okay. Well, Lubomila, it's been great talking with you. I think what you're doing is incredible and uh, I'm super excited to see how you're growing and what you're talking about every time there is an interview or a talk that you're giving. So thank you for bringing it into the world and yeah, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you, Anna. I appreciate the invite. Sure. Take care. 
That was yet another awesome conversation on Salsa Unbound. We're always looking for new guests to share their experiences. We mostly talk with bootstrapped SaaS founders, and if you're one, reach out to me directly at anna at saas.group or find me on LinkedIn. If you're not bootstrapped or even not SaaS but have a great story to tell, we want to hear from you too. And obviously, SaaS Unbound wouldn't be possible without the SaaS Group, a founder-friendly private equity company that buys awesome businesses that people love to take them to even greater success. If you're thinking about selling your company or just exploring your options, feel free to visit saas.group, fill in the form, and expect a response in under 24 hours.